destination is the stars. Sci-Fi Roundtable Podcast. I'm Damon Ballard, and uh, my co-host today is uh, Shane Thomas. Today we are talking about LGBTQ plus characters in fiction. Uh, we have two guests on the topic. Uh, first is Errol Shanti. Hi, everybody. And second is Deanna Rash. Hello, hello. What is the significance of having LGBTQ plus characters in fiction? Wow. Uh, well, the first and foremost that comes to my mind, of course, is representation for those of us who are LGBTQ+. It's so important for us to see characters and stories that represent who we are in a hopefully realistic way. Um, it's even better when those characters are written by LGBTQ themselves um, as authors. And um, yeah, so representation, of course, matters most, I think. And then second of all, I think just even for those who are not LGBTQ, it is good to see... Um, and experience characters that are in your everyday life, really. I mean, it doesn't even matter if it's sci-fi fantasy or whatever. These these people exist, and they're in your everyday life. And I think the exposure to that is a very important thing because it opens minds and hearts. I agree. Uh, you know, I think uh, after reading Shiva 14 series uh, that Arrow published under Lyra Shanti, I really enjoyed Ein's struggle. Uh, and it was a chance for me to see kind of a point of view that I would never have access to just living my own daily life as a member of the community that is not part of the LGBTQ community. So it was great for me to see the sort of things that I'm worried about and struggled with because there are things that maybe I just wouldn't have considered had I not been invested in the story. Right. I mean, I didn't go out of my way to make that kind of story or character. It just happened, you know. Um, writing Shiva was kind of just this really uh, – instinctive uh, thing that happened to me. It was almost like having a vision. So I really wasn't at all aware that I was transgender or intersex or any of that stuff, um, which of course I just spoiled it for people, but you know, <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't know that when I first started but as it progressed. Um, and I am a bit of a pantser here and there, the, the planter, the potty planter, whatever. <laughs> potty planter. Yes. <laughs> Sounds gross, but um, I am kind of that. So in the beginning, the first three chapters, I had no idea where it was going. And I didn't know, you know, that the child born to be the great messiah of their culture on this planet was was actually uh, transgender and intersex. Um, but it turned out that way. And Ayn had all those issues. And um, I think it was great for me because it was the first book I ever, the first novel I ever wrote. And I was able to get out a lot of my own transgender feelings. And, and, you know, I think that one of the complaints um, that some readers have given Shiva, despite its good reviews, a lot of um, people have said that Ayn cries a lot, especially when he's young. But, of course, he's a very uh, isolated child um, being raised in a temple. Um, and I always thought that he is kind of um, stunted mentally in a way when he's grown, growing up because he's raised by priests. They don't let him see the outside world. Kind of a Dalai Lama thing going on. Also, the added transgender thing that I think a lot of non-LGBTQ readers don't really, really relate to. They don't really understand that, um, for me anyway, it was a, it's a lot to take on. It's a lot to, especially back then when I was writing it, I was not out. And so being, you know, in the closet writing this, it was, uh, it was a way for me to get out a lot of my own feelings. You know, I read it before you came out, and as I was reading it, I wondered, boy, I wonder, this is so, <laughs> so personal. I wonder yeah. if the author has any, if there's a personal connection or, or what. I wasn't sure. And, and when you did come out and I read that wonderful article that uh, you let me reprint on the Science Fantasy Hub, I was so happy for you because it felt like, thinking back on the series that this was your chance to really explore publicly something that you were dealing with privately yeah. and, and make a hero out of somebody in this situation that wanted yeah. to keep things private. And and then afterwards it was like, well, great. I never, not like it would be an accusation, but I would never have openly speculated say, is this something you're, but it, it just felt so, I felt so real that I, yeah. I almost intuited that maybe this is a, 
just such a personal struggle. I, I like to write very realistic characters, but that, yeah, Ayn is basically me. I wasn't raised in a temple and, you know, tr- told me to <laughs> it, but like I, I, you know, I definitely feel as private as Ayn. I have, I have that, uh, leave me alone. I'm, I'm an introvert, classic introvert and, you know, and, and being trans as well, it, it kind of does give you this feeling of I don't want to go outside. You know, I hardly know how to handle that kind of situation, but of course life makes you handle it, just like Ayn's world makes him have to go out and be this, this hero, this person he doesn't know he can be. Um, and I, I, once I got into writing and I, and I kind of realized, wait, this is going to be a transgender hero. How cool is that? There's, there's not a lot of books, especially sci-fi fantasy with, you know, LGBTQ heroes who are out in the forefront. They're the main characters. They're not a side character. They're not, you know, something small they're 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 not just a little and, flash on the page you know it's a huge character and it makes sense too because if this character you know if this person exists they're gonna have to build up so much courage to just mm-hmm. face daily interactions that's of right of course of course they're capable of heroics and being the lead right but he's a very very reluctant hero he's like <laughs> it's the fate is dragging him and you know and he's <laughs> Kicking, saying no, 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 I don't want to do this. No, he doesn't at all. Um, but but he has to, and and it's very much to me. It's you know, I don't want to do anything. I don't have to do. I hate confrontation. I hate dealing with the world. <laughs> but like, sounds like it was pretty cathartic for him. Yeah. It was, but you know, when push comes to shove, especially for someone I love, then I'm going to do it, whatever it is, and that's how I is. Deanna and I, and and John, and some other authors that have been on the show, have been working on a Jekyll and Hyde anthology. In Deanna wrote the queer case of Jekyll and Hyde, uh, and incorporated that in, into her short story about a character who undergoes transformation and, and reveals a part of themselves. I'm a little bit of a looking back rather than in the midst of things, um, like Arrow was talking about. So when I write, I, I write with, um, the purpose of representation, like Arrow was saying, but also kind of with a sense of duty, you know, for having kind of been through an era of fighting for these rights, you know, and, um, and for representation and, as somebody who was really also when I was younger, really looking for stories like that. And as somebody who kind of works with folks in mental health too, my stories tend to focus on when I, I my YA series that starts with um, freedom's cost. That is a character definitely kind of in um, Errol's character's position, you know, of, of having been really isolated and so on and, and coming out, but I'm kind of writing it from the perspective of, how that really fits into society too. When I write it's it's from both that, especially like with the queer case story, it's it's from that perspective of both um the broader perspective of society and the personal experience of the character. Um just because I, I guess of where I am in my own journey, a little older, a little farther along, that sort of thing. So that's where my stories tend to come from. I can't wait to read that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's kind of sad, you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. because it's definitely about that, that experience of feeling of, like you have to hide. Well, it feeling not, not even just the, the secrets and the hiding, which I think, you know, I think if there's anything culture is aware of, that's what it is, but also that desperation, you know, that desperation to embrace, you know, identity mm-hmm. and, the and how far that sometimes takes, you know, a wow. character. I have yeah. been working on this anthology for months, and it never occurred to me that Edward Hyde's name could be a pun, a very clever yeah. pun. Right. Yeah. It's perfect. Wow. Honestly, that was... I am, yeah. I, I am a that, little that bit line. less stupid than normal. <laughs> <laughs> no. wow. You know that line, Shane? I, I the line cannot... in there that was like, if he shall be Mr. Hyde, I shall uh, be Miss Seek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's that's straight from the original story. Yeah. And, and I think it worked really well in your retelling. That's definitely something I would look forward to. This is a really fascinating view into your personal journeys when it comes to writing and how being part of the LGBTQ community comes into that. Before coming to uh, this, I, I put up a couple of posts just to see if I could get a little bit of input uh, on a couple of LGBTQ Facebook groups, and I didn't really get as much 
as I expected, honestly. But at the same time, the, what I did get, there's a common theme that until recently, there's been a lot of lack of representation. It's been really taking off in the past um, two to three years, um, especially in in like YA science fiction. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, be, I think that's because the younger generations are so much more ahead of the game than we were growing up, and yeah. everything is changing really fast in the last five to ten years. And I, mean, I don't know if more people are part of the community now, but I think that more of the community feels comfortable enough to yeah. be public about their involvement. Well, well it's only recently that are. gay marriage came out, and you know, and it's just it's just things are changing really fast. When I started writing, I have to say there was literally one publisher that would publish anything LGBTQ lit and yeah. you know and <laughs> wow. they, they were basically just you were writing for free at that point um, yeah. which is why I kind of hung around and waited <laughs> I've looked and there are agents now that are really open to it, especially for oh, totally. adult, especially young adult and I think yeah. it's because a lot of younger people are coming out and feeling like they can and that's what's great is mm-hmm. you know when we were growing up we couldn't and that, so, that's that right there is the is the whole point is that over the last decade, the entire landscape has shifted. You're in a position where you can be comfortable in your own skin. You don't have to suppress it, at least in larger swaths of the U.S. and the world in general. There's still plenty of places where you can't. But, you know, to try to avoid the depressing part here is that, you know, you really have that change. So I don't think there's any more LGBTQ people in the world than there were before. I think it's, it's just a just lot less a, dangerous for them to right. be in public. In Western, right. it, like you said, in most modern civilizations. Yeah, yeah most. Yeah. most. Yeah, not everywhere. But yeah. it's yeah. scary for folks who are listening, perhaps um, from some of the red states and so on, too, mm-hmm. in the United States, you know, much less some of the other countries where it's it's a uh, just so very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it's still dangerous out there. It is. It's just, I wouldn't it say is. it's less dangerous. It's just uh, more s- accepted within society now. I, I personally, especially as non-member of the community, in the past I've heard some very dangerous views from some people that I thought were very not dangerous. <laughs> yeah. So it's in the, in the sci-fi community. Oh, you know, I, I, all I that sad puppy experience. I haven't had that experience, and, but uh, let's mention yeah, a I, couple of very safe places for people that want to find LGBTQ fiction and who possibly write it or, or simply enjoy reading it. One of them I'll let Errol tell about, but uh, the other one that I, I believe we're all members of is Liminal Fiction by J. Scott Coatsworth. I don't get much chance to Facebook, uh, but every time I do, I definitely uh, pop over. He has really fun topics that. I try to cool. pipe in on when I can. Um, Errol yeah. has a group for the community as well. Would you like to? Yeah, um, it's called Rainbow Pride Book Club, and uh, it's still, you know, growing. But um, it's cool. We have uh, we have discussions sometimes, um, and we talk about LGBTQ books, and we promote our own on the weekends. And uh, it's a very cool, open, everything's accepted, you know, no hate <laughs> place. So. If you're not a member of the very community cool. but are open-minded and enjoy reading such as I do, uh, it can also be a very fun place to meet and interact with people. Yeah, and even allies are welcome. We have people there that, you know, just talk books and promote themselves on the weekend, and, uh, you know, they're just allies, so that's cool, too. Personally, I really do enjoy uh, a liminal fiction uh, group. Um, it's one of my three go-tos. Group-wise online, of course, roundtable. I never forget and, the roundtable uh, people. That's why we're all here. Right. <laughs> and, that, and, and that uh, is a very inclusive community. Uh, I think Ducky does a great job of making sure that yeah, she does. people yeah, that absolutely. have comments are fair to everyone and no one's antagonizing. So Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> Ducky does a wonderful job. And the other one is uh, uh, Queer Sci-Fi. I don't know if uh, either of you are a member of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's another great group for the uh, LGBTQ community. It's kind of one one that made me a bit more comfortable with the fact that in my fiction the I've got a lot more LGBTQ characters than people may realize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, the way I personally approach it is more of a it just is. 
I keep pushing him to put his book out and because he allowed me to read a copy of Homecoming early on. Uh, right. He does a great job of portraying a man's man that simply loves another man. It was a beautiful story. And it's, you know, I could relate to the tough aspect of his main character. And then he had this just tenderness for uh, another character that was male. And it, it was a beautiful relationship they had. And it, it was a, it was a really interesting book. I think we need more of that. You know, I, exactly. I tried to do that also with Hinfer and Shiva, you know, trying to show that, you know, gay men or bisexual men, they're not, you know, all just, you know, femme or whatever. There's different kinds of, of people and some are masculine. Some are very, you know, on the masculine side. Right. And the, that's how I try and portray the characters. I mean, as a dyed in the wool panster, I describe myself as my character's stenographer. I just observe what's going on and write up the incident report. (laughs) (laughs) Some would say that, uh, oh, no, you've got control. You're just not, you know. For me, that's not the experience. But everybody's writing experience is different. That much I know. But for me, I mean, I didn't. I'm going along and I'm like, wait, that character is what? I didn't know that. I just, you know, going along, and I find out that one of the characters that features in uh, Chaos Fountain—they're um, not a main character, but they are—they are involved in a in a key sequence. And it turns out they're trans. I didn't even know. <laughs> uh, Damon, the way you describe your writing process, you'd be really interested to circle back and hear the episode with G. Russell Gaynor. He has such an interesting approach to characterization that it's it's almost like he has this separate compartment in his mind for each character in the stories. I, I think you'd really enjoy hearing how he characterizes. To me, listening to his descriptions, I interpreted that as he had an ability to compartmentalize part of his mind to let a character actually live in there and be Ooh. separate from his own consciousness so he mm. could tap into it while drafting. It was very fascinating. Like, like full possession. I, I don't want to put more onto it than than G. Russell described, but it, it seemed like a very uh, – you, you hear about method acting. Right. I feel like maybe he tapped into method writing. Yeah. The episode was character-driven fiction. Uh, for those listening okay. that may not listen to every one, that's a very interesting one to go back to. That's cool. But I, I feel like when I was writing The Artist, I kind of did the same thing. In a way, I don't, I don't want to say I became the character or, you know, I wasn't method acting, but I, it was such a very character driven, first person point of view, character driven, a uh, very, very strong personality thing. And it felt like there were some times that I was so into it and so into his character that I just felt, I don't know, just uh, shaken, you know. So I, I I kind of understand that there's there's a little bit of me that's like that, and and certainly Damon, like you were saying, yeah, um, I'm kind of a pantser when it comes to characters. With characters, I just let them take me over. But um, with with the plotting comes in with story and dialogue and all that, and then I have to kind of, you know, sit myself down and say, where is this going? Once I get into the headspace, it's just kind of hang on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I write with music. And some people that cannot do that. They have yeah. to be in silence. I write with music. Um, when Muse really likes it, it just kind of takes over. And I'm, I'm a, a touch typist, so it just kind of flows out the fingertips. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I've been writing a lot on my, uh, on my phone lately on Google Drive, so I'm swiping a lot. <laughs> I, I've got a fun question and I, I want to ask Deanna first. Um, so as, a straight guy who sometimes writes into other, you know, obviously I write women characters. I hope to one day really well represent somebody from the LGBTQ community in my fiction. But my question is, how do you write straight people and are you worried about it being misconstrued? I feel like maybe not as much as the reverse, simply because you probably had to spend a good majority of your life just acting the part. Deanna, what do you think? Yeah, well, thanks for asking, because I, I have some strong opinions about this. I think. <laughs> um, I wish I could remember who said it, but it really struck a chord that when you're from a marginalized community of any kind, you know, LGBTQ or, or in terms of race, um, immigration status, all that good stuff, that we spend most of our young lives 
observing and living within the larger community around us and really um, taking notes, you know, and sometimes having to pass and all of that good stuff and really learning so much, but it's never been the reverse, you know, like the, the dominant culture or the larger population has never taken the time or been immersed. It's kind of like, kind of like if you went to, to Mexico to learn Spanish and lived in the culture for a while, rather than taking a class, we've been immersed since, since whenever we started having that, uh, that niggle in our mind that we might be a little different. Um, you know, that it, it was all about learning the rules and the characters and the behaviors and everything else of the dominant culture. So, so we kind of have a leg up, I think, when it comes to representing characters in the dominant culture. And it's not always the reverse. I think it takes a lot, a lot of work for straight writers to really well represent um, LGBTQ characters, which is why where that own voices movement came from was to kind of put first, you know, the, the voices from within the community, like you're doing today on this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of represent, um, help, help lift those voices up to be heard uh, from in the community. Cause it's the whole idea of, of being on the margins is, is that your voice tends to not be heard. There are great stories that you, you two are telling. And I'll tell you what, the whole point of reading is to experience a life that is not your life. So if yeah. you're ignoring these types of stories simply because you're not familiar with someone else's sexual preference, it's not like cooties. It will not turn you gay to read a gay story. It just won't. Nope. Don't be afraid. Definitely not. There is good fiction that is not yeah. from your point of view, and you're doing yourself a disservice by avoiding it. But I'm guessing that if you downloaded this podcast episode, you're open-minded enough to try a book (laughs) that may be from the community. Absolutely. And let's also make the point that LGBTQ fiction is not synonymous with gay erotica or whatever it might be. Let's make sure. Now, I do write some erotica. I don't have anything published yet, but I do. That does not translate to... Everything from an LGBTQ author or in LGBTQ fiction being that. Because Homecoming, as we've discussed, is not that. The actual act is just kind of skipped over (laughs) because you can do that. Uh, That's a great point that Damon made. Um, Not everything is erotica that's LGBTQ. That's definitely for certain. And that's something I was trying to do with Shiva 14. You know, it's just a science fantasy story that happens to have LGBTQ people in it. Um, And, you know, I really, I haven't promoted it so much as LGBTQ. It's more science fantasy. It has romance. It has adventure. It has other stuff. And, you know, it's, it's definitely unique, but I, I, I think that's something that, really needs to kind of be changed, especially like, you know, you, you look at Amazon genres and LGBTQ is always just gay romance for the most part, you know, and, and, and it's just, I think that really needs to change partly because of what Deanna was saying, you know, we have to have our own voices and we have to be doing the writing. And yes, there's, there's erotica and that's all great. In fact, my, my new book coming out, Promise of the Opal is kind of bordering that. Uh, it's definitely gay slash by slash all kinds of queer um, <laughs> romance, but it's it's not all that, and um, it's really important. And I think that the more we have stories that are, you know, science fantasy and and just regular slice of life or any kinds of genres um, that happen to have LGBTQ characters, then that won't be a stigma anymore. I really agree with everything that you both said, and just an add-on really is something that I found with folks who you know kind of try out a. Uh, we'll just call it a more literary LGBTQ book that dares to have sex in it you know, <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> Holy realized characters have sex lives too, you know, mm-hmm. and just because there's, you know, a, maybe a little sex on the page or whatever doesn't mean that just because it's LGBTQ that it's erotica. Does that make right. sense? Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like a, that's it doesn't mean it's perverse. Yeah. That's what I can't stand that, that, idea that it's immediately a perverted thing. Sex is a natural thing between two people. It doesn't matter of what persuasion they may be. So trying to say that it is somehow perverse or wrong, it, it, I, I can't wrap my brain around that mentality. <laughs> 
uh, between usually two people, uh, Jenny and I just finished watching yeah. Insatiable, <laughs> and that introduced me to a new term called thruple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you haven't what? seen that show, it's on Netflix, and it's hilarious. And there's uh, a couple of uh, gay and bi characters, and it's such a funny story. And uh, it's just two seasons, and it has an incredible ending. So, wait, wait, what's this called? Insatiable. Insatiable. Yeah. Okay, I have to oh. check it out. Oh, right. it is it is the best. Uh, we okay. very much enjoyed that show. And Got note made. <laughs> You're and, welcome, uh, Netflix. And right right away in the first episode, there was this rivalry, and uh, Jenny and I both leaned to each other and said, oh, those two are going to get it on. One of the things that, uh, I mean, kind of with our... Her topic of uh, thrupling. <laughs> that, that Not a in my, uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, different different sorts of relationships, and and I think um, younger folks are really really exploring that in yeah, huge ways right now. So that's that's really in my YA um, series. There's no sex on the page. Um, thank, thanks to my MFA mentors, but um, there's <laughs> there are relationships, you know, and they're always complex. And always questioning. And for me, that's a big part of why fiction right now, um, from an LGBTQ point of view, too. Yeah. Um, if I can jump over to some of what little input I did get uh, from those Facebook posts. Um, and I, I personally haven't seen this. And I'm uh, maybe uh, our earlier, Deanna, you've uh, seen you have and can speak towards this. If somebody made the point that... There apparently is this sci-fi portrayal of a way to fix a character that is LGBTQ, and I, I find that I reject that idea that you that you would use sci-fi and tech to somehow fix somebody because they're not broken. I don't but, think they're broken. Yeah, that's a you know I think that's a, a big leftover um, in some ways. Um, not to drag anything down at all, but there are you know some of the um, older sci-fi folks were really really conservative, and sometimes these things are still present in the sci-fi world in general. That you know that it, using the fiction part as a way to um, to advance that agenda, you know, that was around really um, from. Orson's got card on, so yeah. Yeah, that's like how when they tried to fix gays with you know electric. Exactly. Stuff. Was that question? I'm confused. Was it asking whether we write that or whether we found that in books we've read? Whether we found that and the response to it, or um, have you tried to use these sci-fi methods well, to turn yourself? <laughs> oh really? No. No. It was more of a general. I, I hate to have to say of, I'm joking, but I was definitely joking. <laughs> but I, I, I feel like I have to answer this a little bit. Because in Shiva 14, like I said, uh, Ayn is raised by these very, very um, religious conservative. Um, they're more, they're more like Buddhist monks, but they're, they're they really weren't happy about him no. having gender identity issues no, and things going have, on that were not uh, no. normal. <laughs> no, he was supposed to be for them their uh, second coming of a god named Adin, and he was supposed to be perfect and a man. They're also under the patriarchy, apparently. And, uh, you know, that was not cool for them. They were not happy about it. So they tell Ayn early on to hide it. Even his beloved mentor, father figure, tells him to hide it and just, you know, seem normal to everyone. So I do have a passage in it from the narration is kind of from their point of view, saying that um, there hadn't been uh, this kind of formity in their point of view in so long, in like hundreds of years. And they didn't know. They, they thought it was fixed. They thought it was done. And, and to have this happen to shock them. So of course, this is a society where they're very, very limited in their, their technology. They've rejected technology. They've rejected science. So that's something I used in their kind of obviously limited backwards point of view. Um, and throughout the books, Ayn rejects it. He has to learn to reject all that. He has to realize from his really good friend Zinn, um, who is from a very uh, science-forward planet, that you can think outside that box. You don't have to be what they told you. Um, so have I used it? I mean, sort of, in, in the sense of that's an obviously limited point of view. You pointed, and so that, it sounds like you pointed it out as yes. this is not a good thing. Right. And I had um, a reviewer once say, 
I don't know, it sounded like the, the author believes this, but if they had read further on, you know, uh, they would have realized it's, it's very not the case in Shiva 14. It's, it's a very pro LGBTQ and, and diversity book series. Is it a challenge when you had to write those characters that shared a different belief? Um, yes. Um, but you know what I find more challenging is writing anything political. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand it. You know those scenes with uh, the sort of Romanesque, uh, the, the council with with Baron and everybody saying, "What would be good for the the country and the planet? What would be good and what oh, would yeah. Be, yeah. Uh, all the politics stuff?" I can't stand. I get itchies. I, I, I get oh, allergic. Yeah. But I have to write. I know I have to do it, so I do it. I think um, I've avoided that in in all my fiction for the similar reasons where. Yeah. Ooh. And being a politician, I can't even, I, I, I would freak out if I had to do that. But yeah, it was a little hard, especially when it was like really, really to the far deep and gross characters. But villains are always kind of hard to write, um, especially when they're really, really far away from you. I like, I like writing villains that are, you know, the complex, they think they're good guys, but they're really not because they've gone the to Magneto. Yeah. Right. He, Magneto right. was the character to me. That convinced me that villains were human beings as well. I'm sure there were thousands of other examples before that, for, but for me in my early exposure to fiction, he was the first one where I ever wondered, wow, is he really a bad guy? He's just trying to fix the world. Yeah, the extremists who think they're, they're in the right and, and yeah. they, they started off with good hearts and that's, that's my favorite type. And it's kind of Shakespearean that way. And uh, I tried to do that with. And there, yeah, there were some characters that were real magnetos in your work as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the really hard characters to write are those who are like gross people. They're just gross. They're just users. They're slave owners. They, they don't care about other people and they're just horrible people. That is really hard to write for me. It was hard for me to get through the breaking of Jason. It, yeah, there were some pretty tough scenes in, in uh, the early part of that book. Yeah, um, because I mean, it was necessary. You know, just just as the the torture is necessary later on. I backed off on that. <laughs> I did with uh, your suggestions. That's a hard one. You never want to get gratuitous. And I started when I was doing a scene. I was writing a, a rape scene. And, and not even in the first book, it's later. Um, and, and I was like, ooh, this is getting gratuitous. Pull it back. Pull it back. Because rape should never be seen as that. It should never be yeah, so much it, where it gets it. Like, oh, is, is this going to... You need enough to give it that emotional right, punch right. without, as you said, being gratuitous. And, right. you know, it, the draft I wrote, yeah, it was a little gratuitous. From my writing perspective, I had to sit through the entire thing with Jason. You know, so I just kind of recorded it and then, you know, that, that's the benefit of having a, a beta reader come through and say, oh, Hey, absolutely. you know what? Yeah. That, that was a little much. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you yeah. this. I normally write in the morning and after I write a really tough scene, I have to almost shake it off because it's, it's like you put yourself in that mood for the day. You write and can yeah. you relate to that, everybody? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the book. Too. It depends on the story. Like there, like I said, some scenes in the artist. I literally, well, this happened twice. Once in Shiva and once in the artist, where I literally couldn't keep writing. Like the character stopped me. Like I remember Ein said to me, "I'm not going to let you write this. That's it. If you don't," <laughs> he literally said to me in my head, "If you don't at least give me some kind of reward for this, I'm not letting you make me go through this." Wow. Um, I don't want to give away spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it, but Shane, it, let's just say it happened in the second book. And uh, <laughs> he just wouldn't let me go forward. So I was literally in writer's block land for like five months. Not wow. kidding. And the same thing happened. And finally, eventually, I gave Ayn what he wanted. Um, <laughs> I had to. Um, and, then, and then eventually, uh, with the artist, the same thing happened. It got so emotional. So uh, I put so much of my own feelings into a lot of it which might scare some people who, who write, who read it. but um, I put a lot of myself into that character and, and there was a terrible thing that happens to him. And at that point I was so devastated that I think I took about five or six months. It's, it's like I went into some kind of morning cocoon. Um, I hate when that happens, but it didn't happen with my new book series, which I think is because with this one, 
I'm writing characters who aren't totally me or don't have as much of myself in them, which was kind of really freeing and neat for me because I'm usually a very selfish writer. But, uh, the, the, and, and it's cool because I have a character that's, uh, I have gay, I have bi, I have, um, a non-binary character, which is new for me. And it's, it's all like characters that aren't me. So I was able to just, it kind of just float out and it kind of makes me want to do that more. But at the same time, writing characters that are more your, like yourself is very cathartic. Oh, so yeah. it's a give and take with that. I write one book series that's, uh, a traveling salesperson that, is into conspiracy theories and plays Pokemon Go, so I can definitely relate to cathartic writing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, hmm. <laughs> it's me if I wasn't me. You know, it's all all the right situation, but I, it's a book, so I have to make him brash and, and uh, you know, he doesn't think through the things he's going to do, so uh, far less conservative decision-making, I suppose, would be. Best way yeah. to I've got a scene with uh, uh, Tori, the character. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, which uh, you, you first you'll first meet in Chaos Fountain. He's a significant, but not technically the main character in Chaos Fountain. The following works for that uh, they're still in Whip is Regent and Emperor um, because they're they parallel one kind of bracketing the other. I'm working to align them into a more coherent linear story rather than having two side by side. But at the end of one of them, something happens and, you know, spoilers possible. It took me six weeks to write a two page scene because you get emotionally involved with these characters. Um, if you're and, doing it right, yeah. <laughs> and then as the separate pieces that they were, I had some alpha readers take a look at them. And when they got to that scene, my wife threw a pillow at me when she read <laughs> it and cried, you know, and she was so upset. She couldn't even pick up and continue reading because there was, there were several chapters after that. <laughs> wow. Uh, until she kind of processed that a little bit. Another person, one of the others, calls me up, has me hand my the phone to my wife, now that they're a good friend, and has her punch me <laughs> in the shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, what was that for? <laughs> and then I has the uh, phone back, and they're like, that's for that scene. I'm like... <laughs> uh, so... And it was uh, then I, that I you decided that. to look to the writer's group for your beta readers rather than your friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. have to move to people that can't punch me to, to give me first <laughs> feedback. <laughs> well, it was more the, you know, my wife and that friend are the only two friends and family I actually will rely on for that purpose because my friend, he's, He's very science oriented. He is, he can keep up with me when I, when I start to geek out in physics or something. Um, so he helps me keep my science within the range of, if you can call it reality, because a hyperdrive is not reality, at least not yet, right? <laughs> uh, and then, uh, my wife, she, she's not a big reader. So she comes out to Adam with such a different perspective. That she'll uh, say, what, what the hell are you saying here? What is this? So it gives me that different perspective to go in and I'm like, and it's, it really has improved the way I portray things because there's, you get to writing and you're, you're into sci-fi, you're this and that, and you might throw something in there that you, you understand that probably two-thirds of the sci-fi readers understand. But somebody else that might otherwise enjoy the book is going to hit that and go, huh? Yeah. It's it's uh, important to balance that because you need layman's terms enough for people who aren't tech-savvy. Right. And and, that, and that's what she brings to it for me. Did you feel um, it was a, a good thing or a bad thing when they punched you? Like, did it <laughs> did it make you go, oh, I've got to redo this? Or did you just go, oh, no, it's it was a Damn, I don't so know. Good. That, that, it's a, it's he's a good thing because it's passion has... with his writing, so that was probably a good thing. Well, no, I mean, it, like, did it, it make you keep it, or did it make you keep it? 
Oh, I kept it. Oh, okay. So you're like, oh, it's a good thing. Okay. Right. It, okay. It's not gratuitous the way um, I had to back off on the torture scene, but it has an emotional impact. So it didn't make it, them not want to read it. It just no. It, it was just okay. like, oh my god, no. Yeah. Yeah. Was this homecoming? Was this the scene that I cringed during? No. Oh, okay. Deanna, who is your target reader or ideal audience? Do you, do you have that person you think of? For me, it's two people. It's my, my father and my son. I think about the two of them when I write a story and I want to write a story that would entertain them. Do you have that sort of person? And are they, you know, are they a member of the community we're talking about or, or do, are you writing to everyone? I'm writing to current folks, like when I write YA, especially I'm writing to, to folks who are, um, who, who are me when, when I was reaching for stories like that, for sure. And to really help them, you know, really intentionally. I always have both sides of things going on, just like in the Jekyll and Hyde story and, um, and in my, my series, you know, there, there's always that, that element of culture that's making things not safe, you know, and not okay. And, and bringing up emotions in characters. But then there's always what I always intentionally do is to, is to provide some support for those characters in the story too, in some way, because my goal is to, especially when I'm writing for YA folks to leave them with the sense of, of hope and support, you know, even when things are hard to be re- really realistic about things, but then to, you know, to leave them with that sense that, that we're here, <laughs> that we're out here. And when I write for adults, it's, it's to, um, it's to the folks who enjoy everything I've always loved about sci-fi. That includes some of the, the folks who, you know, write lots of non-binary, uh, I mean, those were the things that really caught me right away from Ursula Le Guin on forward and, um, you know, writing non-binary characters, writing characters who, who have, you know, who, who don't, just don't live the way that we do. And, um, I really, I enjoy that because I think it, it's, a uh, it's futuristic and it's, uh, it's also kind of what's starting to happen now. So to put that on the page for the world too. So that's what I'm writing for. There's a scene in, uh, Scott Coatsworth's book, his, his first book in the series, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's a Stark, scene. Stark Divine? Yes. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> there's a scene where, a straight guy gets hit on by another guy and his internal dialogue was just so accepting. And that as a straight guy, knowing that a gay guy wrote the scene, it was to me, it felt optimistic, but I, uh, I liked it because I felt like more people should approach these kind of interchanges between people with that attitude of the guy was like, well, Hey, this is a really nice dude. If I swung that way, this would be like, I'm flattered. Mm-hmm. This is a great option. I, I think that more people should have that kind of. Yeah. Well, it should be a compliment. Uh, <laughs> hey, someone finds you attractive. Who cares hey, if you matter. don't find them attractive <laughs> right. too? Hey, every time I get carded, you know, trying to buy a six, <laughs> I'm like, I say, thank you. You know, it's yeah. something <laughs> good just happened here, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's not for you. That doesn't mean it wasn't good, you know? What a cool way to present options, you know, for people who pick up the book, too. You sure. know, oh, here's a different way to react. I could. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I think that he was really doing a service to straight people that may not be total. And there was a time in my youth where I wasn't completely comfortable with people in the LGBTQ community simply because I'd never met one before. And then my friend's girlfriend, her best friend was gay. And so him and I ended up spending a lot of time together and it got to the point and he was my roommate. So I was like, Kira, you're going to bring David, right? David and I are going to hang while you and Stefan are doing stuff. You know, you got to bring your buddy. And I, I really look forward to hanging out with them. It was just like, maybe I never would have encountered him, but when we were on the couch together, we found that we had a lot in common and it was yeah. this eye opener. And I think yeah. more people just, it's something they don't counter all the time. So if they just had that one experience where it was, right. Oh, it's Hey, that, they're people what, too. Just like right. I'm a person. That's exactly they're what not I was just trying say. to hurt me. No one's right. trying to hurt me. For, they're right? just different. <laughs> He, he didn't show up with a syringe uh, to inject you with the gay, I, right? He did not rub his gay cooties on me. 
and I still love women, and I think he's awesome still. And I wish I knew his last name and could find him on Facebook because it's been <laughs> over 20 years, and I just, you know, it's one of those because uh, it was before the age of social media where we could all friend one another upon mm-hmm. meeting. Um, yeah, so, right. Yeah, uh, it, it was a great experience, yeah. and for me, it was my kind of, you know, it was like 2001 or something, and it was my, oh, okay. Gay people are just people that are gay. It's not like, it's not us yeah. and them. It's just yeah. us. We're all just people. And We're all just we, us. You know, right. If yeah. more people realized that, we wouldn't have this fear of restrooms and all that nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many yeah. very, very silly issues that yeah. people mm-hmm. take way too seriously. I just wanted okay. to remark on what Deanna said about who we're writing to. Um, I love that she's writing for young adults and, and, and characters she would have loved to have in her life when she was younger and that we, we didn't have. And it, it made me think about, and I've been thinking about this recently a lot about, you know, when I was growing up, what would I have done? You know, if, if like now where we start to, we're starting to see not only more books with LGBTQ characters, but like TV shows and, and just so much more exposure. Like when I was yeah. younger, I didn't even know what transgender meant. I had no clue. I didn't learn about it or know the word until I think Boys Don't Cry came out. And that was like, what, early 90s, mm-hmm. something like that, I think, or mid 90s, maybe. I don't remember. Um, but it was, you know, I was in my, I don't know, 20 sometime, but I didn't, I had no idea. And um, it was foreign to me and strange and yet completely rang that bell. Um, but like, what would I have done when I was 15 if I had had books that, you know, spoke to me, that showed me something that, that I could see myself in, you know, it would have been so, uh, illuminating and also very comforting. And, um, so yeah, I, I think that's a great thing if like, you know, not only young adults, uh, reading some of these type of characters or mm, seeing the young adult in all of us. <laughs> right. Oh right. yeah. I, I still love young adult. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> as yeah. as, as a not so young adult, I still love young uh, adult. I, I, I feel that so much. I mean, looking back on it, it would have allowed me to make sense right. of things about myself. Yeah. Decade. Before, it, can you, know, can you think 15, about all the suffering years. that could have been avoided? I mean, really, I mean, it that's would, why it's my mission. I, I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> right. I think that even if you're still in the closet or your parents won't understand you, you still can't come out or, or yep. workplace won't let you or whatever, um, still just having that knowledge about yourself and coming to terms with it and, and not grappling with it and, and just starting to know yourself that in itself, you know, is comforting yeah. and, and, a, and a safety that you absolutely need when you're, well, when you're anybody, but yeah. especially I, mean, I, I was in the U.S. Navy in the middle of uh, of the uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell era. Wow. Yeah. So you know, the fact that I was able to find my way through that at that time, I, I consider myself very lucky. Definitely. Yeah, I spent time in the um, police department during that time too. During all of the, I mean, I was literally the only, the only woman in my precinct, much less LGBT person. So it's, it, it does, it makes you really, um, appreciate the, the fact that there is stuff around now and, and motivated to put more out there and really, really support yeah. the folks coming up and to give us all stories to read that we can relate to and, and yeah. to, that folks like Shane can, <laughs> can enjoy and, uh, keep uh, learning more about all the other folks that exist in our culture. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think there's tons of people in the world and all of us need to come to the realization that Bill and Ted's excellent adventures is the new gospel because we Absolutely. all just need to be excellent to each <laughs> <Yes>. other. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Without question. I watched that about two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And, and with, with kids too, it's one of those <clears throat> great movies that, uh, really reflects my younger, more eclectic days that I can show to them and, and not, you know, grimace during certain scenes. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it, it carried well. I can't watch yeah. Ace Ventura still, but Bill and Ted <laughs> is a great, I, I look at it like, Oh no, honey, we're putting this on so our kids can see morality, you know, <laughs> That's yeah. right. and time travel. There's nothing yeah. better. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Yeah, be excellent to each other. I think that that uh, if I can follow anything, that's it. Right. That before every other mantra, we ought to be excellent to each other, and then yes. whatever else we're trying to accomplish. 
Yes. And just just because I promised myself I would, we have to make sure, you know, whatever floats your goat. Because <laughs> goats are not known to float. So if it floats your goat, go with it. <laughs> Special and, and, nod to John. <laughs> yeah, John John wanted to join us. Poor guy's sick. Uh John will be back, folks. We've been listening to a couple episodes without him. He will be back. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> he, he, he needs to add a nice, you know, dun 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 uh, sound effect to that moment yeah. right there. John has access to editing. For all we know, he's putting himself into these conversations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so listening for that. I don't really think that would be appropriate to you. I I, I watched old sitcoms recently. I went and reviewed Friends and. I realized that in the 90s, we were all okay making gay jokes, and oh, yeah. that we're not anymore. So it's culture is changing, and it's a good thing, and we're being sensitive to everybody where we weren't before. There's so much more we could cover. I mean, it, you know, the issues that still exist when it comes to being bi and bi characters and how they can be not necessarily portrayed positively. I try to portray a bi character. I have quite a few. Um, Jason is one. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if you picked up on that, Shane, but he, he is in fact bi. He seems to enjoy many relationships in, in the work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that it, it is, it can be a problem. Um, because, and I've, I've seen it in the LGBTQ community where, Somebody is by, oh, you're just greedy or confused. You don't know what you want. Right. This is not what it is. Right. It isn't. Yeah. I eventually came to the fact that I'm bisexual, but it took some time. So I don't even know if I was that sensitive in the 90s uh, to anything. <laughs> um, it, it was a, a weird time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, bi erasure is a problem, and the uh, stereotypical idea that bisexuals are weird or perverted or creepy or you know there's there's lots of shows that have there's like been shows that show bisexual characters that are you know always either evil or they're just yeah the idea that they're confused or or don't know what they're doing or i don't know um mm. that, that kind of stuff has to stop because that's not true <laughs> they absolutely know they they've had time to think about it and you know to say to say i'm bisexual means you're aware of what you are and that you just happen to like both or all, you know, whether you consider yourself pan or bi or whatever. I think um, it's an important sticking point to if you can't relate to someone on the term of their sexuality, that doesn't mean you can't relate to someone somewhere else. We all have right. something mm-hmm. in common with each other. Yeah. So maybe a great launch point if you aren't sure how you could approach someone who has a different sexual orientation than you is to just focus on things you do have in common. I know it worked for me during my early encounters with someone, a guy that was gay. I I didn't worry about that. We had other interests and I got so wrapped up in our other interests that what I perceived to be a problem turned out not to be a problem at all. And it had nothing to do with me or with him. Those sort of revelations that really are what change people's minds. And I think too many people, you know, try to put their own uh, identities onto other people. So that they can relate, I guess. And to some degree, we're all guilty of this to, to at least some degree. We all start to go, Oh, well, I don't relate to that. Maybe I can, you know, figure it out through what I feel. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's empathy and it's just trying to understand someone else. And, uh, I think that's what's great about books, stories, movies, whatever. Uh, it can kind of force on people, um, in a way to make them have to try to, you know, look at someone else's life and how they feel and, and put on their shoes. And it does like, like with you, Shane, it, it, it just interacting with that, that gay man uh, made you realize, Oh, he's just a person and you could find things you relate with. And I think that's the whole key is that empathy and, and just trying to understand, trying to seek to understand is the key. Right. And to circle back, I didn't get the gay cooties. <laughs> Nor did he hit on you, right? It doesn't. No, no. Uh-uh. Yeah, right. So that's, he, that's he was he was pulling for much prettier men than me. So that, <laughs> that was never a worry. Uh, uh, darn it! And we all know that fiction breeds empathy, right? <laughs> it's so, right. Well, it so, should. so very can. important to get it out yeah. there. 
the the one thing that was on my mind, um, somebody asked me to, you know, I'm a bit of a token <laughs> in the MFA program we're in, and they asked me to to speak about this, and and so to me, one of the cool things about um, your invitation to do something like this is to ask authors who have a lot of steam out there, you know, folks who identify as straight, for example, instead of instead of writing. Uh, your own LGBTQ characters, you know, from not from your experience to consider supporting, um, LGBTQ authors who, who, you know, really, um, need a platform or a step up, um, or students to mentor students who don't have the opportunity to participate in mentorship programs or paid opportunities like MFAs, um, to, yeah, to reach out and to LGBTQ new writers and and help them along in other ways that's one of the ways that we we get equitable <laughs> um yeah. out, out there in publishing so whether it's self-publishing or small publishing or or the big folks is to get some of that mentorship and some of those uh you know to to use use um use your voice um to support so Great. Yeah. Rather than writing outside of your depth, perhaps there's other ways you could support these people that are already telling wonderful stories yeah. that do directly represent their community. Exactly. That's great. That's a great point. Great idea. I know we mentioned the Jekyll and Hyde anthology and uh, you can find that through the Science Fantasy Hub or even look up on Amazon, Jekyll and Hyde, and uh, we'll come up in the listings because uh, that's public domain work. And we did include uh, Stevenson's original that inspired all of our retellings. Other than that, would you mind sharing uh, how how our listeners can find you? Amazon author page. Um, I'm going to, in conjunction with the anthology, I'm going to um, put a short read up there um, that folks can download at the same time for an idea of other things I do called The Wedding Planner. Yeah, it's a horror story. So oh, I loved that. it. I loved yeah. it. That was the first piece of hers I read. It was just oh, cool. it was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, and then around Christmas time, um, the first in the Freedom's Cost um, series should be out. So Is it, that it your depends on my series. Yeah, it's my YA right. sci-fi. It depends on my ability to figure out the Amazon business, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. It could be tricky. Errol, where can we find you? As always, you can find me at lyrashanti.com. Um, as of right now, I'm still publishing under Lyra Shanti, um, just simply because that was, that's actually my real name. And it's, uh, the name I, I started publishing under. So, uh, before I, I came out, um, I might in the future publish under Errol. But uh, for right now, it's still lyrashanti.com. You can also go to Amazon, find all my books, which largely feature LGBTQ characters for the most part. Um, I have a new book coming out called Promise of the Opal, and that's going to be a new series. Um, it is a romance, uh, but it also is sort of a fantasy, and it has LGBTQ characters, and uh, it's set in China. And, uh, yeah, just go over to Amazon. You can find me all over the place. Great. Uh, Damon, how about you? You can reach me at uh, dcballard.com. Um, that's got links, of course, to my only currently released work, Chaos Fountain. I, I think I mentioned it before. <laughs> I have more whips uh, in progress than I have any business. Um, but the next one that will be released is going to be book one of Homecoming. Uh, once I finish the repolish of it, uh, thanks to uh, – you, you, Shane, uh, your input, as well as all of the other wonderful authors from the roundtable that uh, took a swipe at it for me. It was a um, great draft, and I can't wait to read it again as a final product. I, yeah, yeah, careful, you're going to blow up my ego there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I saved the compliment for the end. <laughs> Right. From DCBallard.com, you can reach my uh, Scribblings blog, um, which has uh, a little bit of poetry, some uh, short pieces of fiction, as well as my ongoing uh, fiction series, uh, Log Entries, uh, which follows somebody that truly gets about as lost in space as you can truly get. And uh, they're currently crashed on a uh, planet that, for all intents and purposes, appears to be potentially artificial though they're still working through the survival state. You can find me at the sciencefantasyhub.com where my series, The Anki Legacies, is uh, 
explained in detail. And I have literally hundreds of book reviews from fantastic authors like uh, those joining us today and several others that we have spoken to in the past. Most importantly, if you are a reader and you want some free books from the people that have done some talking on this show and others uh, who we rub elbows with, visit Reading the Roundtable of Science Fiction and Fantasy. And if you are a fellow author and you'd like to chat with us all the time about writing, uh, join the Sci-Fi Roundtable on Facebook. That's where we all are. Um, me, a little bit less so than normal, only because I'm spending so much time with the spoken word here, here on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to uh, speaking at you again next week. Thanks, everyone.